welcome to the third episode in Season 3 of Crisket 42, the podcast that talks a little bit about life, the universe, and everything. In keeping with this season, there's certainly a mixed bag of things to talk about this time, and I'm going to try and keep it upbeat and off the cuff, although I do have plenty of other topics coming soon that have taken much more research and a little bit scripted maybe, so expect some nice, long, boring episodes very, very soon. Don't forget the Criscuit YouTube channel, C-H-R-I-S-C-U-I-T. Lots more content being added on there all the time. There's the Skyliner sessions from Walt Disney World. There's the Chick-fil-A cows and Freddie Mercury. Much more of that nonsense to come soon as I have purchased some brand new puppets. There's the Fraggles and other folk songs I've been finding too. Plenty of Gordon Lightfoot if you like him. I smashed through the 200 subscribers barrier as well, and I'm well on the way to 300 subscribers now, so don't forget to support the channel, and share it. Like, subscribe, click, do whatever you need to do, etc, etc, etc. If you have any feedback for me on the podcast, you can contact me on podcast42, that's all words, at gmail.com. That's podcast42 at gmail.com. I've had some good feedback in the past. And it's always good for new ideas, or if you have any suggestions other than stop podcasting, or even if you want to come on the show, come and be a guest. Be our guest, be our guest, put our service to the test. Uh No, no more bad French accents in this episode. Okay, let's keep going. So what else have I been up to lately? Well, I'm just back from a nice long month's vacation in the sunshine state of Florida. Yes, I went to Florida yet again, so plenty of tales from there. But it's nice to have flying back to normal. Well, almost back to normal. Not so many PCR tests anymore. A lot less masks in the airports. But I think the only place I actually wore a mask the whole trip was on the aircraft going and coming back or in lifts and Ubers. But other than that, fingers crossed, we're almost there. Don't tempt fate though. (laughs) But the airports were very busy. And there's always the constantly changing criteria that I can never keep up with. The upgrade gods were smiling me on the flight out as well, on the Emirates flight from Dubai to New York, all 13 and a half hours of it, but I got upgraded to premium economy. Not the usual business class upgrade, but Emirates on the A380s on on the London sector and the New York sector have introduced their new premium economy. For me, as good as some business classes I've flown on, and a very welcome upgrade for the long flight. I was flying into JFK, and a top tip if you ever do fly into JFK, It's a very, 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 very busy domestic airport. (laughs) So always check in online for your transfers, if you're going to another airline especially, because if you don't, there's a long queue for check-in. But for the online check-in, when I got there, there was a handful of people. Much easier. Another Criscuit top tip. Fantastic. Other things that are getting back to normal? Glastonbury. Oh yes, the tickets are finally paid for last week and expect a full report on that at some point after June. For those of you in the colonies or are unaware of anything musical, Glastonbury is one of the biggest music festivals in the world. I can't wait for that. I went back in 2019, then it got cancelled in 2020, got cancelled in 2021, and now we're back! Woohoo! Finally! 2022. Let's see what that brings. Definitely a big podcast. Maybe go live from Glastonbury at some point. (laughs) I'll record there anyway. Okay, as I said, I went to Disney World. Disney World was packed full of people. I went to SeaWorld. That was packed full of people. Universal Studios, packed to 
Twin Peaks, packed. Oh, Twin Peaks, did I say Twin Yes, I did say Twin Peaks. Yes, that was packed. TSA was packed. Everywhere was full. I've never, ever seen Florida so full of tourists in February. Normally a quiet time, but I don't believe these things exist anymore. Although I was there for President's Day weekend, so that would be a little bit busier, but even still, it was rammed full of people everywhere. I went to Universal Studios, as I said, and it was the Mardi Gras was on there. Came face to face with a Velociraptor, had a game of Where's Teddo? For those of you who were there, you know exactly what I mean. But we also had the Mardi Gras festival for food, and there's a locals tasting menu lanyard. And of course, me being a Florida local almost these days, I could get one. The tasting lanyard costs $55 plus tax for guests who are not annual pass holders and provides 10 redemptions, which comes out at about $5.50 per item. But for annual pass holders and us locals, the cost is $65 plus tax, but it provides a whopping 15 redemptions, which makes the cost only $4.33 per item. A real bargain. And the lanyard can be used for all tasting sizes of food and beverage items, including alcohol. Although personally, do not go near the alcohol. You're not getting much bang for your buck. It's more cost effective if you get the food. And there's lots of it to choose from too. More about that in a second. The lanyards themselves are sold in designated food locations around Universal Studios. And even better, the lanyard never expires. So if you don't use all your redemptions during the festival, you can still use it on another trip. What food offerings were there? From a food perspective, I'm trying to remember this because it was a bit hazy. <laughs> there were some good Cajun Twisted Franks and the Cajun Twisted Taters were quite nice. The Muffaletta, that's the mortadella, salami, ham, mozzarella and provolone cheese with olive relish and toasted sesame seed buns. Very, very tasty and a great, well, not a meal, but a decent snack size for when you're having a few beers in Universal Studios. There's the chicken and andouille sausage jambalaya, which was very tasty. I do like my jambalayas. The blackened chicken poor boy, that's like a chicken thigh, Cajun mayo, lettuce, tomato, blah, 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 on a baguette. So again, something substantial to eat while you're wandering around. Shrimp gumbo, huge fan of shrimp gumbo during my time in New Orleans last year. Did I ever talk about that? Probably best if I didn't, but the shrimp gumbo was very, very good. What else could we get? Canitas arepas, sorry for the pronunciation. There was uh, picadillo, mozzarella arepas too. Yucca fries, I saw those, and chimichurri. King cake, of course, because it was Mardi Gras. And beignets, or the beignets for me, the best beignets I had were the alcoholic ones at the Grog Grotto, is it? I can't remember. The bar, the pool bar in the French Quarter at Walt Disney World's Port Orleans. Oh, they were tasty. What else could you get? Marshmallow pie, Mardi Gras marshmallow pie, of course. There was various other beverages as well, such as the Purple Haze drink, which is a very popular with young Ted Ted Teddington. And I personally had a fantastic Bloody Mary with a chicken wing, a, I can't remember the name of that salami thing. It's a salami straw thing, or what are they called? Good grief, all of you in the colonies are currently screaming at this because you know what it is and I can't remember. Slim Jim, that's it, it's a Slim Jim. Is that what it is? Well, that's what it's going to be from now on. There's also lots of other desserts you could get. What else? I can't remember it all. Oh, there's a great meatball garlic pressed slider in the New York section. That was meatballs topped with mozzarella cheese, stuffed between two slices of Texas garlic toast. Van Dabby-tastic. Mm-mm-mm. The Bloody Mary was actually in the San Francisco Bay Area. These booths are actually dotted all over Universal Studios. And it really is a 
fantastic food festival and great value for money. If you were to actually spend the money value for these items, you could spend in excess of $200 and you're getting it for 65. Another one of the good ones was the Nashville Hot Chicken Mac and Cheese. See, they sell that for $10.99. You get it for your $4.33. Think of the savings, think of the food. But what was my favorite? Well, my standout area is in the New Orleans Battery Park area, the crawfish and shrimp boil. A mixed bag of crawfish, shrimp, andouille sausage, red bliss potatoes and corn on the cob. You can also have the crawfish cabaret, as your little crawfish can be made to dance and dance and dance a little bit more. I can't help myself, it's just the way I am. But yes, it was only, I mean, it's a small basket of boil, but it was just so delicious. The Cajun spices were good, and again, with all the other snacks, you felt as though you'd had wholesome meals all through the day. Good for soaking up all that excess alcohol, of course. Try to think of some of the others there was. Oh, conch fritters were very good. So that was flash fried conch served with grilled pineapple and a, a pineapple remoulade, is that the word? Yes, I think it is. You get, if you have a sweet tooth, there's strawberry pancakes, blueberry shortcakes. Oh, there's a sweet corn johnny cake as well. That's kind of pulled jerk, jackfruit, blood orange, crema, avocado, yellow mole sauce. Very, very tasty. What other areas was there? Ah, of course, there was a fusion food truck in London area. Of course, there's Harry Potter there and you have King's Cross, so that's where it is. But it's classed as the London area. There were some good Creole crab beignets there. There's some ube ice cream. Ube very popular in the Philippines. That's the purple sweet potato ice cream. Very, very nice. I'm getting hungry just thinking about this, actually. <laughs> also in the London area, obviously keeping up with the upper class of London, there's the ruby port, the tawny port, and there was a pink port as well. I didn't try those. I'm a big fan of port, but didn't do it this time. In the Woody Woodpecker Kids Zone, again, I didn't eat these but they did look good. There was the vegetable vindaloo, there was a chana masala, one of my favourite curries actually, that's spiced chickpea curry. There was samosas you could buy and lots of other drinks you could get in that area and, so, and desserts as well. What else was in the other areas? I'm trying to remember. There was a Southeast Asia food truck as well in the Woody Woodpecker Kids Zone. That was it, you get a shrimp laksa there. That was very good. There's a rouge amour, that's braised pork, Thai chilli peppers, uh, cilantro coriander to those of us who know and that comes in a soft griddle bun that was pretty good as well so as you can tell lots and lots of offerings something for everybody really and you get real good value for this lanyard trust me it's well worth it okay where are we next well actually another thing i thought about in the mardi gras and i was a bit worried when i went in was the mardi gras tribute shop and i saw a box that said badger spray they can keep that spray away from my badger for sure Okay, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't know what it was about either. So yeah, I had a great day at Universal Studios and Universal Islands Adventure. Really was a bit too busy to do all the rides, but I don't care about all that, rides and attractions. I just want to be there for the fun. And I was with some very good friends. Mr. and Mrs. Asshole were there from Georgia. And more about them later, because they gave me a great treat later in the trip which I will talk about in a second but no some really good friends there we had some great times there was the Mardi Gras parade some really good floats huge alligators passing by a lot of fun and a full day at Universal as I said also as part of the Mardi Gras celebrations there's also as I said there's the parade but there is also music live music there 
And what were the artists that they're on this year? I'm trying to remember some of these. I know that Diana Ross was doing a stint there. Actually, the day we were there, there was not a live act, which was a bit unfortunate. Sugar Ray was scheduled to play the Bare Naked Ladies. LL Cool J, that would have been a good one. Marshmello, not really sure about that one. Lee Bryce, who I have no idea who he was, but I'm sure he's some country star. If in doubt, if somebody says to you, yes, you know I'm talking about, Mr. Asshole, do you know this person? Just reply, is he a country star? And I'll guarantee you're usually right. If not, go for NASCAR driver. Okay, what next? That was Universal Studios in a brief... This is going to be very brief on everything this episode, as I say. I've not written anything down, just making it up as I go along. You can probably tell. Another day I was fortunate enough to go to SeaWorld. Have not been to SeaWorld for many, many years. So I got my locals pass, as per usual, and went on a day when I could go to the Seven Seas Food Festival. What's the Seven Seas Food Festival, you say? Very similar to the Universal Mardi Gras, to be honest. Only it's more international cuisine and fantastic food. Again, you could get the sampler lanyard. This time, you could get 18 samples for $80. For everyone else, it's 15 for $80 or 10 for $65. But the locals want 18 is fantastic. To buy individually, as I said, would be, again, around $200. And it was a struggle to even eat all the ones that we had. We had, I think, three lanyards between six of us. Don't waste any on drinks, though. As I said, again, the same as Universal. Universal, the drinks are larger. SeaWorld, they are tiny. Do not waste any of your lanyard on the drinks. What food did I have while I was there? Now, this is going to have to be casting my memory back, because this was quite a while ago. (laughs) It was also several trips to Twin Peaks ago. More about Twin Peaks, I'm sure, later. I know who's laughing right now. Yes, you. I can hear you. So, let's start. There's the Flamecraft Bar. That was more for drinks, where they did uh, frozen Miami Vice, a mojito, margarita, that kind of thing. Very tiny drinks. Better off buying just a regular drink, not wasting your lanyard on that. The same with the Sunshine Hops area, where they had some IPAs as per usual, because IPAs are now everywhere and getting a bit tiresome, to be honest. There was also a Jack Daniels tasting area. I was high hopes for this one. Mm, Could be something interesting. No. It was just Gentleman Jack, Tennessee Fire, Jack Daniels Single Barrel, and what's the other one? Not the Honey, Tennessee Apple, that was it. Again, don't waste your money on that, or your lanyard on that. There was the Café de Mar, which had some really good cheesecake waffle cones. There was a rainbow one, a banana one, and white chocolate raspberry. That's right, I'm doing well on my memory here, good grief. Again, they offered pale ales, I think, there, and the usual cocktails. There was a mudslide, a margarita, frozen Lynchburg lemonade, easy for you to say. But again, not really for the food. Now we're getting into the food, though. The Caribbean market, that was number five in the list of them. There's a spicy shrimp skewer, which is very good with sweet plantains and lime aioli. There was a jerk chicken hot slider, oh, delicious, and a Caribbean spicy rum cake. Sailor Jerry spice rum as well, which is always a winner, one of my favourites. You could actually get a red stripe lager there. Oh, it's a small one though, and I do love red stripe and didn't want to waste a lanyard on it. One of the first areas we went to was the All-American Market, presented by Kraft Heinz. <laughs> we could get your brisket tachos, which were pretty good. There was a lobster white cheddar mac and cheese, which, to be fair, did not look anything like the picture, with lots of lobster in and a nice skillet, but it was still very tasty. Oh, God, I was quite happy with that. You could also get funnel cakes there. Not my choice, but I know certain people who like those. There was the Polynesian Market. This was the first 
stop on our entrance into the area and one of my best dishes of the day was the spicy tuna poke bowl uh, Maui sweet onion, crunchy Hawaiian nuts, chili, aioli, and beautiful spicy tuna in there. This was quite a spicy dish. Some edamame in there as well. Really tasty. One of the other members of our party had the barbecue lamb ribs, and apparently they were very good as well. Moving on, there was the North Atlantic Market, where you could get New England lobster and shrimp roll. I'm sure I was getting schooled on lobster and shrimp roll at some point by somebody from up there, but I've it was in one ear and out the other. I'm sure you're listening. <laughs> there were some pan-skiers. Pan-skiered? Pan-seared scallops as well. They were very good. All the, all the food quality, to be honest, for the for, for the most part in SeaWorld was very high quality. There were a few disasters later on, but didn't really ruin the day because we've had probably quite enough food by then anyway. The Italian market was another highlight. They'd get your cheesy meatballs, can't beat a set of cheese balls in your mouth and resting on your chin in the Italian market, if you know what I mean. The tiramisu was also very good there as well. He says, try and remember what we actually did. There were also some other drink booths. There was the Lakeridge one, which was different wines, didn't do that. There was cut water spirits, so you get the usual, what do you call them? Hard seltzers, uh, yeah, avoid those. They're the next step to alcoholism. <laughs> That's how I see it, because they are too easy to drink. There was the Mediterranean market. That was pretty good. You get a grilled lamb chop, which was very nice, surprisingly. They did a hummus with parmesan kettle chips. I don't think he tried those. There was the usual craft beers and a berry panna cotta, which was actually very good there. I remember trying that. In the Brazilian market, though, they had a picanha steak topped with chimichurri. That was delicious, although my Chick-fil-A cows ran off at that point. Check out my YouTube channel if you've no idea what I'm talking about there. (laughs) Where else are we? This is all a distant blurry memory at the moment. There was the Waterway Bar. That one did lots of draft beers. Uh, They did a decent cheese dip there, I believe. There was the Asian Market. They had some really good giant panko prawns. Some crispy pork belly bites that were very nice, and some good ice cream there as well. You could also get Kirin Ichiban lager there. Again, I didn't waste the lanyard on drinks at all. Now onto the one that was very disappointing. This was the Ireland market. And to be honest, the food there really didn't taste very good at all. Somebody I was with got the crispy Reuben egg roll and I think the mini shepherd's pie. They were both dog turd, to be honest. Yeah, they were not good tasted like dishwater, very soapy tasting. I'm not sure where they got them from, but and sadly that was one of the last things we had of the whole day, as everything else had been fantastic before that. The German market, there was a pork schnitzel slider, which again was another one that disappointed because the sauerkraut just did not taste right. Something very off about that, maybe it had been there for the last 14 days or 14 years, I'm not sure, but Hey, everything else was good up until that point, so we can't really complain. I think I've spent actually quite a lot of time there on the, the Sea World Seven Seas Food Festival. It, it was a really good thing to visit, and Sea World did surprise me. I have to admit it. I've not been to Sea World probably since the days of Blackfish, the movie. If you don't know what that is, the documentary that really condemned Sea World quite heavily, but they seem to have got their act together. They have some fantastic attractions there now. They've gone heavily on the roller coasters and less on the giant whales dancing about, which is good to, good to see, really. And they're still concentrating on the conservation aspects, which I always believed they had in their, in their mind, whether it's, I don't know. I, I know there was pros and cons for the whole SeaWorld issues, which I don't really want to go into here, but this seemed to be really 
what's the word? A bit of a renaissance for SeaWorld, I feel. Same with Universal at the moment. SeaWorld and Universal going through a bit of a renaissance for the better. And actually, um, as I will come on to, and I've said before, starting to outstep Disney on a lot of things. From the attraction perspective, there was Manta, which is very akin to the Superman ride, which I discussed in Six Flags Over Georgia. You, let, you sit in your seat, you're strapped in, and it tilts you forward, and you fly through the air. Absolutely terrifying for about the first 30 seconds as you climb about, well, it seemed like about 3,000 feet. It's probably only about 80 or 100, but it feels very high. I'm not scared of heights, but you really feel vulnerable as you're dangling there. But once the ride starts, amazing ride. There's Kraken, which for me has always been a really good roller coaster. Very long, few loops in that, and that's now intertwined with Mako, which is a very similar to Goliath, also at Six Flags Over Georgia. So if I took Superman and Goliath, you have Manta and Mako. So I don't have to discuss those roller coasters at all. Just go back to the other podcast. <laughs> okay. One other highlight of the day. Well, two highlights. Let's start with one was the Sesame Street area of SeaWorld. This is a kid's area, but if, like me, you love your Muppets. I was never a huge fan of Sesame Street as a kid, oddly enough, but I have a huge appreciation for it now. The whole Sesame Street area in SeaWorld is perfect. They've done it so well. Lots of characters in the windows, lots of meet and greets. The street is Sesame Street. Very easy to say, but take a look at that if you're ever in SeaWorld. But the other highlight was an unexpected one. Again, SeaWorld are having lots of artists playing concerts at various times throughout the festival. And the night we were there was none other than Mr. Vanilla Ice himself. Bum 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 bum. Bum 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 bum. I'm, got, I'm not going to do it. I can't. I can't rap to save my life. I can barely sing. But Vanilla Ice was there. Let's give him a look before we leave. Fantastic. What a, what a guy on stage. Real stage presence. Had the audience up on stage with him. Had the whole place rocking and bouncing, jumping around. Amazing. I would actually be tempted to pay money to go and see him. Just for the entertainment value alone. Fantastic. Other artists that are planned there or have been on there already are some tribute acts. I think there was the Highway to Hell, which is a tribute to ACDC, Absolute Def Leppard, obviously Def Leppard tribute, and Absolute Queen, a tribute to Aerosmith, not a tribute to Queen. <laughs> Who else was there? Everclear. They were playing Steve O'Gary. O'Gary or Jerry, is that how you say his name? He was formerly the vocalist of Journey, so easily a crowd pleaser there. Uh, Gabby Barrett was playing, um, Mike Donaghy, lead singer of 10th Avenue North, Florida, Boys to Men, of course, good crowd pleasers, and there's a few other tribute acts as well. I, I believe there's Let It Be, a tribute to the Beatles, Bee Gees Now, a tribute to the Bee Gees, of course, and Greggy and the Jets, not a tribute to John Jett, a tribute to Elton John. There's various other ones, I think there's Leonard Skinner, Led Zeppelin, not the bands, tribute artists, and a Van Halen one as well, but some great acts. The chance to see Vanilla Ice really was a surprise for me. So check out SeaWorld. I'm speaking high praise of it because it deserves it. I thought it would have aged the park as well, but it was spotlessly clean. It was very, very busy the time we were there. I have to appreciate that. You can also do the Fast Pass type ticket, the Express Pass. It's $80 for the day, which we got but didn't really use to its full extent. But if you went for a full day, especially with the teenage kids, get them that and they'll get straight on the rides if it's busy. But really SeaWorld impressed and I can't wait to go back again. It's been reinvented, they've tidied themselves up, they've got their act together, their merchandise was good, the park was clean, the food was good, the entertainment was high level. 
the attractions are very good. A good 9 out of 10 for me. Really enjoyed SeaWorld. 9 out of 10 based on what? I have no idea, but that's what number popped into my mind on the day I had. Okay, what was next? I was lucky enough again. I was lucky enough again to get to visit Walt Disney World, went to Epcot and Hollywood Studios, courtesy of a few friends. Epcot, I've spoken about Epcot I'm sure many times, but I went to the Festival of Arts. Um, one of the highlights of probably my entire vacation was the Spaceship Earth show at night. There's a thing called the Beacon that they put music and various lights roll around on Spaceship Earth, but every so often they play Rainbow Connection and they match the lighting to Rainbow Connection. One of my favourite songs ever anyway. And I must admit, when the line, wish on the morning star and one individual light lit up, I think there was some sand in my eye at that point. But it was a great show. The lights are fantastic on Spaceship Earth and a real asset to what I've got now. Much better than Harmonious. I, I went to see the new light show Harmonious that replaced Reflections of Earth or whatever it was called. Was it Reflections of Earth? I can't even remember. What kind of Disney fan am I? And then there was Epcot Forever, which was actually I thought was very good, but Harmonious for me was a bit meh. I can't explain why. I think I need to maybe see it again, but it was not enough Epcot and too much Disney. For those of you who've seen it, you might understand what I mean. It's very hard to explain. But one of my highlights at Epcot though, Mr. Ted, Ted Teddington, Ted of Tedville, Tedshire, Tedland, the fourth Duke of Larceny and I, had the tea service at the Spice Road in the Morocco Pavilion. We also had the fire shrimp, which is very tasty. And the tea was perfect on a fairly warm day, just to give you that little pep up and get going again. I also spotted, I'm sure in China, I spotted one of the Capital Riots queuing on, that shaman guy. I'm sure he was wandering around. You know the one with the horns and the fur hat? Although this one looked more panda fur. But anyway, that was in the China Pavilion. What would I know? Or is that the China Pavilion? <laughs> Other things new at Epcot that I hadn't done before, the Ratatouille attraction. But again, it was a decent enough ride. It's one of those track-free rides similar to Runaway Railroad. It's also, the attraction is open in Disneyland Paris. But I enjoyed the ride and the effects were very good. But there was no real narrative to the story. I, mean, I had a few drinks by this time, maybe that didn't help. But I really had not much idea what was going on other than I was in a car that looked like a mouse and we were racing around the floor with people trying to stop us. I'm used to a bit more storytelling from Disney. The other attraction that's almost ready is the Guardians of the Galaxy attraction. Personally, I would have sacked the contractor working on that a long time ago because that should have been ready so long ago. But there was one of the new starships that's parked outside. I can't remember what type of ship it is, but there's a big fat grey temporary support on there which makes it look really ugly. I just hope it is temporary and they are replacing that. I also went to Hollywood Studios, had a day there. Probably the busiest I've ever seen Hollywood Studios. Went to the TuneIn Lounge for the very first time, which was very nice. Had a laser around in there and a few drinks. Met some new friends in August Cantina. That was courtesy of the Three Sheets group. That's Three Sheets to the Mouse, in case you don't know. I'm sure you do if you're listening to this. But yeah, met some new friends there, some very nice nurses from Florida. Three people who've worked very, very hard during the pandemic, I'm sure. Okay, I know it's very quick about Epcot and about Hollywood Studios, but I've talked about them enough all the time. But I did go to some of my favorite places in Walt Disney World, outside of the parks. I must say, it was really fantastic to see the Flying Fish restaurant open again. I had a beautiful red snapper wrapped in a thin potato, sort of batter, but it was just thinly sliced potato wrapped around it, a real beautiful meal. And of course I had the pork belly starter, 
but I do recommend the Lobster Bisque Appetizer. They're, they're both a must. I also managed to go back to Abracadabra and see my old friend Abacalada and also the Bellevue Lounge. I love sitting up there. There's a few friends, again from the Three Sheets group I managed to meet up with. There's a group of us sat in there relaxing, some old time music on, drinking a few cocktails. What more could you ask for? And then finally, Topolino's Terrace. Topolino's restaurant for me is up there with Flying Fish. I think Flying Fish is marginally better. But if you go out on the terrace of Topolino's, this is in the new Disney Riviera Resort. Topolino's Terrace, you can sit up there and you feel like you're... You could be in France, you could be in on the, on the Riviera, you could be in Spain, you could be anywhere in the world that's beautiful. Looking out, you can see fireworks, you can see the trees. You do not feel as though you're in Disney World. It's hard to explain, but it's a beautiful terrace just to sit up, relax, kick back, listen to the music, drink a few old fashions or a glass of whiskey and have a good time. So yep, Flying Fish, Abracadabra, Bellevue Lounge, Topolino's Terrace, probably four of my top places within Disney World. Actually, I should also remember to talk about Trattoria Alfano on the boardwalk, because that now is probably my favourite place for breakfast in Disney World. It's definitely a must for any discernible World Showcase day drinker too. It gives you a really good base to put a load of alcohol on top. Their breakfasts are pretty huge. I had the poached eggs. Poached eggs, you say, that must not be big. It was a lot of poached egg on kind of a grits with some some garlic bread, uh, lots of other offerings on it. Some of the people we were with, like two, two of our table had the steak and eggs. The steak would not have looked out of place as a main entree during dinner. It was a huge steak with lots of eggs, lots of potatoes on there, a really delicious dish. Could have easily shared that between three of us. I think there were six of us at the table and we couldn't finish all the food. But Trattoria Al Forno on Disney's Boardwalk, fantastic place to start your day if you're going drinking in the World Showcase. Another good mention, I think I've got probably two more mentions actually, the Boathouse at Disney Springs. I always thought that was a bit of a stuffy restaurant. Although I, I thought the food would be good, I kind of looked at it from the outside and thought, do I really want to go in there? Probably not. If you think the same, it's a mistake. Go in there, the food and atmosphere is fantastic. Great stuff, so I just sat at the bar and got food. But I had some yellowfin tuna, which was unbelievably good. The tuna cut was fantastic. A beautiful spicy sriracha mayo, a really spicy sauce that came with it. It was delicious. And to start with, for appetizer, I, I had a carpaccio beef. I love carpaccio beef. For me, this was a little bit too salty, but it didn't take away from the quality of the meat too much. So yep, the boathouse on Disney Springs another good find and again I would put that up with probably my top three in Disney Springs and anybody who knows me know the polite pig is one of my favorite places probably in the world just to sit drink and watch the world go by the selection of whiskies is very very good um, you pay off the odds I guess this is Disney don't forget but the pig I think I visited there at least five times on this trip with various people I do live sitting there and just watching the day go by talking of the day going by I met up with a few friends, there's the Georgians and the Michigan lot, and we did the mini monorail crawl for want of a better word, we did the Polynesian Tambu Lounge, oh delicious strawberries there, thank you Jennifer for those, dipped in chocolate, I've never had strawberries that were that good. We visited the Enchanted Rose in the Grand Floridian, again another bar that's been reinvented, and for me is another one of my favourite spots to stop, it's quite classy in there, even with us in there, and some really nice drinks. There was also the Grand Floridian Pool Bar, always been one of my favourite places to stop. Lots of blue skies there, just like CBR. And then we also moved on to the Port Orleans Riverside Pool Bar for some more beverages, a game of Yahtzee and some dog turd cigars. <laughs> 
I don't smoke on this trip. One of the the assholes, shall we say, he brought a selection of cigars. Probably the worst thing I've ever had in my mouth, ever. There's been a few strange things in there, as you all know. One of the best things I've had in my mouth, though, wait for it, no, it's not what you think. It was the Angel's Envy. It was a rye that was soaked with cigars. I, I, I can't remember the exact name of it now. Again, Brian, you'll be listening to this if you listen. And we go, this is what it is. But it was the Angel's Envy whiskey, the rye whiskey. And it was cigar infused, for want of a better word. It was delicious. Oh, I should have looked that up before I did the podcast, I guess. Okay, that was quickly through my SeaWorld, Disney trip, Universal, I guess. Oh, I mustn't forget Mardi Gras at Port Orleans. Okay, I was due, well, I wasn't due, I did, I stayed at the Port Orleans Riverside for a couple of nights. More about that in a second. And there was the, it was the Mardi Gras Parade. The Mardi Gras Parade there is by cast members. That's the people who work at Disney. They build their own uh, golf car floats, for want of a better word. And it was amazing. They were representing 50 years of Disney. So there was the Country Bear Jamboree float. There was the Haunted Mansion float with Madame Leota there, or a version of. There was the Jungle Cruise float. But these were all made by cast members. And it was really good because people looked so happy to be doing this. And it was a real time to pay tribute to some of the people who work hard for Disney. That started at Port Orleans Riverside where I was staying and then moved on to French Quarter. And I followed the parade along and somehow managed to be part of the parade at one point. Yes, you know how these things happen. After that, it was on to the pool bar, the Mardi Grogs bar, where we met the lovely Shelley serving behind the bar there. Fantastic job she does. And we had crickets. Yes, we ate crickets. The buffalo were my favourite version. And for some reason, we drank transmission fluid and burnt tyres. Oh, sorry, that was Malort. Some strange Chicago brew that was brought by the Chicago Three Sheets chapter. And yeah, it tasted like transmission fluid and burnt tyres. The best way I can describe it. Strangely addictive? No. (laughs) Glad I tried it? Yes. Would I do it again? Probably. It's inevitable. These things always are. Which moves me on nicely, though, to my next section. Port Orleans Riverside. Okay, during my stay in Florida, I was staying for a month, so I thought I'd make it it a budget trip. I did treat myself to two nights at Port Orleans. I was lucky enough to get a good rate on the room through some of my connections in Disney World, don't you know? He said name-dropping. But I also stayed at a quality inn on International Drive. I thought I'd rate the two against each other and see how they stand up. The Quality Inn, a budget offering, cost me $55 a night. On iDrive, not an area I would use to think about staying in, although I have done in the past. Port Orleans, in the middle of Disney World, one of their moderate resorts. Who's going to win? Let's see. Now I'm going to rate each hotel against certain criteria, such as check-in, their bell services, the room quality, the room size, the cleanliness, room service, the amenities, the staffing, for example, the location, and a few other things, maybe value for money, for example. And let's see what I came up with. I've tried to do this objectively to not pre-meditate a winner, so I didn't add the scores up until I'd finished, and I've really honestly kept it real. I've tried to make this as honest a review as I can. I didn't want one to win or one to lose. I just wanted to put in an honest way what I thought of each hotel. One being a moderate Disney resort, another being a very budget offering on International Drive. Okay, where to see how they did. Check in. That's the perfect place to start. Okay, Port Orleans Riverside first. It was hopeless. Not the check in itself. 
It was just very late. I managed to get there about midday. I don't expect to be able to check in at midday. Although many hotels will facilitate this if they have availability. I just want to drop my bags, which I could leave my bags at Bell Services. More about that in a second. And they said, yes, we'll message you when your room is ready. Now I was going out for the day and was hoping to call back to check in, maybe about five o'clock, but it could be 11 p.m. check-in. I wasn't sure, but it would be nice to get sorted to put my things in. Or if I'd arrived with a family, I would want to be in the room as soon as possible. I would want to know. Yes, I could drop my bags and go to the park for the day, or maybe just go to the pool, but I'm traveling on my own, so it's much easier. This could be very difficult for other people. So I thought, yep, send me the text message when it's ready. Check-in could be as late as 4 p.m. I later found for some Disney resorts, even the Dolphin and the Swan, they're saying between 4 and 6 p.m. check-in. That's highly unacceptable. And the reason for this, for me, is because they're understaffed. More about staffing later, but they're not servicing the rooms in time, they can't turn it around, therefore check-ins are very late. So you're paying potentially for a room to check-in at 6 p.m. to have to vacate at 11 a.m. the next day. That is not good, especially for the price you're paying for these hotels. Once I did check in, it was very pleasant, but I did not get a text message. And it was about 6.30pm, I thought we could actually call back. Luckily one of my friends had a car and drove me round to Port Orleans Riverside. I went there, you didn't send me a text. Oh, sorry. Well, I'm now going back out, can you transfer my baggage to the room? You have to be in the room. Oh, good grief. It just didn't seem very easy. So I thought, well, I'll leave it till when I come back at 11pm and I can sort out the bags then. It was very busy at the hotel at this time and I didn't want to wait for the bags. I wanted to get back out and enjoy myself and didn't want friends to wait for me. So I thought, yes, I can wait till later. I'll ring bell services later. More about that in a second. And then I can get my bags. But for me, it was pleasant. The check-in process was very pleasant, but the whole waiting, it's just not good enough. Three out of ten. The quality in score. No dramas at all can check in if there's availability and they even shuffled rooms around for me so make sure I'd, I'd actually done four bookings because I didn't know if I was going to be staying there that long and I wanted to combine them and although the hotel was very busy it was no drama at all they shuffled the rooms around so to facilitate me having the same room right the way through the stay I did arrive very late at night so there wouldn't be an issue of waiting but they were expecting me it was no problem at all and even when I did change the rooms, it was done instantly. So check in for me, a good 8 out of 10. Bell services. Okay, this was the real problem at Port Orleans. Again, hopeless. I get there at 11pm and call, can you bring my bags? No, I could not get through. They'd said just call, connect to the desk and we'll get your bags for you. One hour trying to connect on hold, waiting for my bags. In the end, I had to walk disgruntled. The resort is very big. Port Orleans Riverside is huge. I had to find my way around, had to get to the reception. What's going on my bags? Eventually, I got to the bell services. There's one person not only working the desk, but also having to go and get the luggage and take it out. Impossible. There's just not enough staff. I put my best angry eyes on for a bit, but realized it wouldn't do any good. But they did eventually give me service and luckily I got a golf car to take me back to the room. It was a long way, I wasn't walking back at that time of night with two suitcases. And to the Disney cast member credit, they said to me, there's a $20 credit for food for the inconvenience. I'd rather have had my bags in the room four hours ago. Also, when I checked out, they said again, just call. I'm thinking, oh no, this is going to be hopeless once again. 11am for checkout, I called. Can you come get my bags please? 
Sure, sir. Straight through. Wow, amazing. No problem at all. They'll come straight away. One hour later. Nothing again. So I'm thinking, I was, in a, I was in no rush. I had a flight that night. I didn't really want to leave the hotel till 4pm if possible. But I did want to have some part of my day to enjoy. So I gave them a call again. Oh, sorry, we didn't get your call. Oh, hang on, you did. You said yes. Oh, it must have been misplaced. Can you come and get my bags, please? And again, they did come within 10 minutes. But that was an hour and 10 minutes waiting for bell services. So overall, the staff were very pleasant, but there's just not enough of them. And they're very, very busy. Two out of ten, I'm afraid, Disney. Okay, quality in score. Bell services. Didn't really use it, but storage is available. And it's easy enough to get the baggage to the room because it's not a huge resort like Port Orleans. Elevators were working. Staff were available to help. There was quite a lot of staff on the reception should I need it. And storage was available. Again, did I really use it? No. So it's an average kind of six out of ten for me on that. Room quality next. Okay, Port Orleans Riverside is never going to lose on this. Amazing TV, a well-appointed room, great shower, plenty of room, a beautiful bed. It was two queen-size beds, but they seemed big enough. Uh, fantastic pillows, and the bed was very comfortable. I slept very well. It was just a really nice room. 10 out of 10 for me. I could not have changed anything in the room to make it better. The Quality Inn, on the other hand, it's an older room. To be honest, it had a bit of a scruffy carpet, which did let it down. A decent shower, a well-appointed room. There was a microwave, a fridge, iron that kind of thing, a microwave, the usual things. So it, it, although it was an older room, it was very well appointed and had everything I needed. The air conditioning was a bit noisy, but no problem with that. A seven out of 10. Room size, I nearly went into this on the last category, but Port Orleans Riverside, I had a large corner room. Fantastic. I wouldn't want to put four people in it personally. I'd like more room in my, in my accommodation, but the room could accommodate four people easily. There was also a table and chairs, separate area, which was very nice to use, a big room, plenty of room to get ready if there was two of you. On my own, perfect. A good 8 out of 10 for the room size. Quality in, again I was lucky because I've got a very spacious room. It was apparently an upgraded room, didn't really feel upgraded, but it was a very big room. I even had a sofa in the room, good desk space too, and it could easily handle four people. No problem at all. Just me on my own, it was fantastic. Decent TV, eh, not as good as the others, I guess. I should have said that in the room quality, shouldn't I? <laughs> anyway, for room size, I give both hotels an 8 out of 10. Port Orleans was slightly smaller, but still perfectly sized for what it was. And quality in was much bigger, but I would say 8 out of 10 for both of them. Cleanliness, Port Orleans Riverside, spotless. Absolutely spotless on arrival, really hard to fault. 10 out of 10. Quality in. Only the carpet looked like it could use a scrub. I'm sure my feet got a bit dirty walking on it. Other than that, more than adequate for an older room. You have to look past the edge of the room sometimes for cleanliness, but the room was well cleaned and it was cleaned regularly. A good 7 out of 10 for me. Which leads nicely into room service for the cleanliness as well. So room service at Disney, zero. They don't have room service. They do not service the rooms. No matter how long you're staying there, the rooms are not serviced. You have to make your own bed. I'm sure you can get towels if you're staying there longer, but I got no room service. I was only there for two days. I want my room servicing. Zero. Quality in, a good seven out of 10 this time. Every day they came for room cleaning and then a separate person would come for bedding and towels. 
but it was very regular timing. If I'm staying in a hotel for two weeks, as I was, I think it was 15 days, I need to know when people are coming so I can be either there, let them in, or I can vacate the room and make sure I'm not in the way. The timings were regular. And also, if I put the do not disturb sign, they would try and come back later. No problem. And I actually asked some of the staff if they wouldn't mind servicing my room. Done immediately. No issues at all. So for that, it's a 9 out of 10 for room service. Zero for Port Orleans, nine for Quality Inn. Huge difference there, I'm afraid. You can see where this is going, but maybe maybe it'll come back. Now on to the amenities. The amenities of Port Orleans, the resort is huge. It's a resort, not a hotel. But this can be an issue when getting to the amenities because it's so big to get around. But the pool, the bar area, the dining hall, the shops are all within walking distance and very high quality. But I didn't notice any vending machines, which are always handy for a soda or water or a snack late at night. I didn't look for ice though, so I didn't see any ice machines. And I didn't use the laundry, which is always useful for me when I'm staying longer times. And it is still only considered a three and a half star hotel. Yeah, from Disney moderate, three and a half star is about right, because that's based on the amenities. But for Port Orleans, a good solid seven out of 10. For Quality Inn, it's not a huge hotel, but there were plenty of vending machines, ice machines. The laundry was very handy. It was actually in the room above me and it worked very well and I did need to use that. The pool was clean, but I didn't really try to use it as it, it really wasn't warm enough for me. And there was a nice little pool bar there as well, and it opened on an evening, should you need to use it. But a good, again, an average 6 out of 10 for me with amenities for Quality Inn. So 7 for Port Orleans Riverside, 6 for Quality Inn, for those of you who are keeping check on me. Staffing. Next topic. The staff I encountered at Port Orleans were very good and helpful as ever, but here's a story about my printout. As I travel a lot, and because of COVID, you need to have printouts of your PCR test. I got my PCR test done, went to the desk. Do you have a business center? No. Oh, come on. People using moderate resorts probably need to print out things from time to time and might need to use a business center. No. So what was the advice of the concierge? Oh, sir, if you can access Lyft or Uber, I could suggest going to the nearest UPS or Kinko's. Oh, what? So you need me to get an Uber to go off-site to then get an Uber back just for one piece of printout. Luckily, another cast member overheard this. I wish I could remember her name. She was very helpful. She said, what's it for? I said, I just need to get my PCR test printed for my flight tonight. I'll ask one of the managers if they can do it. She promptly gave me an email, got it sorted, printed out no problem. But I could have easily have walked away or she hadn't been listening. I would have been in an Uber on my way to Kinko's which does sound like a strip club, I'm afraid, and the wrong kind. So yeah, getting a printout in such a large resort at a Disney hotel, really, it shouldn't be that difficult. And as I said earlier, there's just not enough staff for such a large resort. If you're going to have that resort full, you need to staff it properly. I talked about bell services. I talked about the room servicing. You've got to get the people in. So for me, a seven out of 10 on the staffing. It's really the staff friendliness and helpfulness and their attitude which helps the most for Disney. It's a 7 out of 10 for that. It could have been a lot less. At the Quality Inn, staff were very helpful. As I said, they combined my three bookings or four bookings easily. No room changes and it made things very helpful. The staff were always friendly and courteous whenever I saw them in the corridors or in the reception. Always said hello, good morning. And also one morning I fancied a coffee. I don't drink coffee a lot. Was in need of one. I said, could I get one? Breakfast had since closed 10 minutes earlier. I said, don't worry, just go in. It'll be no problem. Help yourself. This little got coffee there. It wasn't any trouble. So for that, a good 8 out of 10. Really good staff. Lots of staff as well. So everything was serviced. 
The reception was always manned with two or three people. Very helpful. Okay, what's next? Location. Well, Port Orleans Riverside, it's in Disney World. The location doesn't really get any better than that. I'll give it a 9 out of 10, because it's not exactly in Disney Well, it's not in the theme parks, and it's not walking distance to the theme parks, but you can get the boat up to the Sasagula Steam Company, up to Disney Springs, and the buses are accessible. It's a good 9 out of 10, it really is. It would only get a 10 if it was Grand Floridian, or Bay Lake Towers, or maybe it's Yacht and Beach Club, or Boardwalk. Other than that, it's a good solid 9. Put the quality in though. It's great for all the iDrive Entertainment International Drive, and also over the street from a Twin Peaks. Again, more about that shortly, and also about the other entertainment offerings on iDrive. But for all it's in the middle of an entertainment area, it's a quiet enough area, you're set back just out of the way, and far enough away from the weekend crowds it does get quite rowdy down there, in a good way. You're also able to walk from the hotel in about 15 minutes to Universal Dockside or Surfside Resorts. Why would you want to do that? Because you can then get your transport to Universal, regular transport, and it's quite a pleasant walk up there too. It's also easy Uber distance or Lyft difference, the two rideshare companies, to Springs or the theme parks. Again, a very good location. It actually surprised me. I knew iDrive was a good location, which is why I chose it. I did have prior knowledge, but I was very, very pleasantly surprised. I will elaborate on this shortly, but for me, a good 8 out of 10. <laughs> now onto one of the more comedy criteria I thought of. The closeness to I-4. That's Interstate 4. <laughs> um, okay. Port Orleans, in a nutshell, is far away not to hear it. 10 out of 10. Quality in, it becomes white noise after a day or two. 3 out of 10. It's next to the I-4. And you can hear it, even with the doors shut. <laughs> so yes, quality in does lose on that. Although, that's, is that really a criteria to take seriously? Well, maybe not. Okay, moving on to a more serious one, probably one of the most important for some people. Value for money. Okay, Port Orleans Riverside can cost you in excess of $350 a night. Once you add tax, parking, resort fees, all that garbage. It's still a great location, and it's a great hotel, but would I pay $350 plus for it? No, I would not. It's a 2 out of 10 for value, for me. Luckily, I had a heavily discounted room, and I got it for around $191, all in, that's everything. And at $191, it's a 9 out of 10. You see the, you can see the value in it, it's exceptional value for me, $191 for that room, fantastic, 9 out of 10. The full price, it's a 2 out of 10. But the quality in, $55 per night. That's everything, there's no extra hidden taxes, nothing there. Bargain, 10 out of 10. For what I got for $55 per night, I really cannot complain at all. Fantastic. Okay, drum roll please, as we have the final scores. The final score out of 120 possible, Port Orleans Riverside, with discount, 75 out of 120. But without discount, it goes to 68 out of 120. The quality in on International Drive, 80 out of 120. And as I said, I've not done this to make quality in win or Port Orleans win. I did this very objectively, or subjectively, is that the right word? Who knows? But either way, Port Orleans did not come out on top. I didn't expect that. If you'd said that to me before I visited, I would have said no chance. And if it wasn't for the i4 being so close to the quality in, this would have been considerably worse for Disney. 
I'm honestly starting to believe Disney's days as the benchmark in hospitality are more than numbered if they continue this way. It's becoming apparent from the resorts and parks, the costs are being cut, prices hiked. I would have scored Port Orleans significantly higher on my previous stays. I've stayed there a couple of times, but it's definitely not what it was. Still a great place to stay and play. If you go to the parks, the resorts, it's still a fantastic place to visit, but it should not be outscored by a cheap ass hotel on iDrive. End of story. Come on Disney, it's time to get things together. In previous stays, I stayed at the dockside and surfside at Universal, and again, you could get that for $120 a night. You're accessible to the parks. You get early access to the parks. Universal have stepped up their game. SeaWorld have stepped up their game. Disney, it's your turn next. You cannot continue like this. The bubble will burst. So many people are visiting. I believe they're visiting because over the last two years, they've obviously saved a lot of money by not spending it. There was nowhere to visit, nowhere to go. So people are anxious and happy to spend part with their money on vacation now. But that can't continue. It's not a bottomless pit of money, or maybe Disney believe it is. But the price hikes, the lack of value you're getting for your money from now on with Disney. I know myself and others have now got serious doubts about it, and I'm a huge Disney fan. Okay, don't want to go down that rant for too long, but you get my idea. You, you see what I'm talking about. I still love Disney. I will continue to visit there for now. But will they get as much money from me as they used to? Probably not. Okay, let's continue on to International Drive. International Drive, wow. Some happy memories there, some strange memories there from the past in the 90s, the 2000s. Never used to be one of my real favorite areas. It was always a cheap and cheerful location. But now I have a whole new appreciation for it. Actually, over the road from where I was staying, any Walgreens that serves wine, beer and liquor must be a winner. I got a very nice High West double rye on sale there reduced from $47 to $29. But that's not the real reason why I would appreciate iDrive. Well, maybe it is. The glut of restaurants and entertainment around that area is amazing. There was a juicy crab within walking distance, 10 minutes away, Joe's Crab at the end of my street. There was the Longhorn Steakhouse opposite that. The Tutu Tango Cafe, which it did sound like a strip club to me. That's the second time in this podcast. Kinko's and Tutu Tango. Are you sure they're cafes or printing places? There's also Ben and Jerry's, oh sorry not Dave and Buster's, where I've now acquired my new friend Little Chad. For those of you who are listening, thank you very much. There's Howl at the Moon, the Dueling Pianos purse, where you get extraordinary bar bills. The 24 hour Denny's where you can go after your extraordinary bar bill to try and soak up the alcohol. There's a Twin Peaks, a Hooters. Ah, Twin Peaks and Hooters. I was talking about this earlier. Now Twin Peaks is very similar to Hooters. If you've been to a Hooters, you know what I'm talking about. Scantily clad young ladies, nice wings, good beer. Now which is the better? Well for me, Twin Peaks for the win. Food and drink wise of course. The Dirty Blonde was amazing. That's a beer. And it's ice cold too. It's not what you're thinking. But yes, Twin Peaks, their wings was fantastic, the food was great. Clientele had some great conversations at the bar, some good music, good TV. What more could you ask for? And very reasonably priced. Hooters was a 10 minute walk away, Twin Peaks was over the road. I went there. There's also a Miller Ale House, another of my personal favourites in Florida. I think they're elsewhere as well, but they are very good for sports bar, cheap beer, good food, again, simple. There was two live music venues over the road from where I was staying as well, in Icon Park. There was All Red, which was country music, had a great live stage there, and Tin Roofs. Is it Tin Roof or Tin Roofs? I can't remember. Anyway, Tin Roof, we'll call it that. They have a nice outside bar, and there's live music split into two sections. Great bar for, again, live music, simple food, and cheap beer. 
Although, all red one for me are sitting a tin roof at the outside bar. There's a god-awful children's train ride that comes past every two minutes going <laughs> Yes, that's what it sounds like. Ridiculously bad train noises when you try to listen to music and have a nice beer. And also, sadly, I was at Tin Roofs on Valentine's Day, just after my Valentine's date with the laundry machine at the hotel. Anyway, so yeah, I drive. Oh, one other thing they had there, those ridiculous rides as well, those big swings that go up in the air about 4 million feet, well, about 200 feet. No chance that I would be riding on those. Although, as I was walking down I drive one day, the swing is swinging around, and all of a sudden I saw one of the seats on the swing appear to plummet to the ground below. I like, what the? Only to realise it was the bungee ball ride. You no, know, those big stupid bungee things you sit in and hurtle you up into the sky. It was that behind it. It just looked like the big swing had broken and was now about to hit the dirt of iDrive. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm ridiculous. Okay, that's iDrive really in a nutshell. Great entertainment area, lots of live music. 24 hours a day you can get food and, well, and drink, I assume. There's always something going on. And it's really upgraded itself over the last few years. I remember 20 years ago, I probably would not have gone up there. Now, not really a bad area. Lots of fun. Lots of people enjoying themselves. Great place to visit. So moving on from I drive and still driving, I was lucky enough to go to something I've always wanted to do my whole life. A NASCAR race. And no, not just a normal one. The great American race itself. The Daytona 500 with my favourite asshole and his better half as well, for good company. I must admit they were a great company, and if you're listening, thank you very much for a great time. The smell of high-octane fuel and burnt rubber, the glare of the skin of the sunburnt redneck, what more could you ask for on a beautiful day in Daytona? Great, I love NASCAR racing anyway, it's such a good sport. Well, I've got into it quite a lot recently. I've always liked it, now I've got a whole new appreciation for it. But one thing that did make me laugh, I don't want to go into all this too much. I'm quite an apolitical podcast, and an apolitical being, I reckon. I don't care much for the far right or the far left views. I'm kind of in the middle. Bit left, bit right sometimes. I'm not a political animal, I'm really not. But the support for Brandon Brown was everywhere at NASCAR. Who you say? Brandon Brown? Who is Brandon Brown? Well, let's go Brandon. It's a political slogan that has been wildly used as a minced oath. Something I learned about recently, a minced oath. More about that later. But it means, fuck Joe Biden. In reference to Joe Biden, the 46th president of the United States. Chants of fuck Joe Biden started being repeated at sporting events beginning in early September 2021. On October the 2nd, 2021, during a televised interview of the Sparks 300 race winner, Brandon Brown, at Talladega Super Speedway, the NBC reporter, Kelly Stavast, misinterpreted the chant in the background as Let's Go Brandon, which sparked the meme, Let's Go Brandon. But the slogan has become well known through use by Republican politicians and critics of Biden. The phrase quickly spread to popular culture with, with rap songs using the phrase and placing high on the record charts. It was incredible. And there's Let's Go Brandon flags, Let's Go Brandon t-shirts everywhere. NASCAR is quite a Republican audience, so shall we say that? But there were some great characters. Let's get away from the politics. I don't care about that. Some great characters. We parked the car and were travelling across. Those two ladies in front of us who were just there for, how did they describe it? Where's the free stuff? Because <laughs> outside of the track, there's lots going on. There's merchandise. Actually, the NASCAR merchandise was very reasonable. I purchased a Chase Elliott cap and T-shirt. He, has the, he had the Hooters car, 
and I actually saw him drive around the diamond at the Atlanta Braves last year, so it seemed like a good affiliation for me. I can support him. Although I think he now needs a Twin Peaks sponsored car next time. But the NASCAR, especially at Daytona, is really no-nonsense. There was a no-nonsense national anthem by Trace Adkins, a really good to hear a national anthem actually sung for a change, rather than giving it the vocal warblings like that you hear at some national anthems. He just sang it from the heart. And then you had a flyby from the US Air Force Thunderbirds, and that really set the tone too. When you're watching the race at Daytona, you've got the cars hurtling around, you've got the rednecks getting sunburned, you've got the beers, you've got your expensive chicken and chips. But in the background, you see aircraft taking off from the nearby airport. It's a real atmosphere there that's second to none. I absolutely loved it. For me, the Daytona 500 lived up to its billing as the Great American Race. And there really could have been any number of contenders to win it, even right up to the last lap. Great fun and so much excitement. A great day out. So thank you to David and Jennifer for looking after me on that day and make sure I got home safely. Fantastic day out. Okay, I'm going to move on from Daytona, from iDrive, because then I had a week where I just disappeared and went up on the beaches. Where did I end up? Well, I was planning to go further, but I ended up in St. Augustine. Been there before, and I went up to Butler Beach, Flagler Beach, St. Augustine, had a drive around there. But St. Augustine, I discovered quite a lot more there, and I'm going to talk about that now. Now, I do like a bit of history, and St. Augustine was founded on September the 8th, 1565, by Spanish Admiral Pedro Menendez de Aviles, Florida's first governor. He named the settlement St. Augustine as his ships bearing settlers, troops, and supplies from Spain had first sighted land in Florida 11 days earlier on August the 28th. Ah, Augustine, August. No, that's the feast day of St. Augustine. The city served as the capital of the Spanish Florida for over 200 years. It was designated as the capital of British East Florida, my preferred name for Florida if I was honest, when the colony was established in 1763. But Great Britain returned Florida to Spain in 1783. For his full name, Augustine of Hippo, the Latin Aurelius Augustinus Hipponensis, 13th of November 354, to the 28th of August, 4.30. No, not 4.30 in the afternoon. 430. Yes, keep up, come on. Also known as St. Augustine, was a theologian and philosopher of Berber origin and the Bishop of Hippo Regis in Numidia, Roman North Africa. Hippo Regis, also known as Hippo or Hipponi, is the ancient name of the modern city of Anaba in Algeria. It historically served as an important city for the Phoenicians, who we thank, the Berbers, the Romans, and the Vandals. Yes, those vandals, as in vandalism. More about that in a second. Hippo was the capital city of the Vandal Kingdom from 435 to 439, until it was shifted to Carthage following the Vandal capture of Carthage in 439. Now, vandalism, you've all heard of vandalism from the French vandalisme. Terrible accent. But first used by Henri Grégoire to decry the pillage and destruction of art in the course of the French Revolution. In reference to the East Germanic tribe of the Vandals, who looted Rome in 455. But St. Augustine is the oldest continuously inhabited European established settlement in what is now the contiguous United States. Although I believe this is contested by some other places in the USA. Henry Flagler had a lot to do with the city and the college there, the Flagler College, and Flagler Beach. Henry Flagler was a co-founder with John D. Rockefeller of the Standard Oil Company, spent the winter of 1883 in St. Augustine and found the city charming, but considered its hotels and transportation just inadequate. He wanted more. Maybe he should work for Disney. He had the idea to make St. Augustine a winter resort for wealthy Americans from the north, 
and to bring them south he bought several short line railroads and combined those in 1885 to form the Florida East Coast Railway. Oh, how I wish the railways were much better these days in America. He built a railroad bridge over the St. John's River, or is that the St. John's River, in 1888 and opened up the Atlantic coast of Florida to development. Flagler finished construction in 1887 on two large ornate hotels in the city, the 450-room Hotel Ponce de Leon and the 250-room Hotel Alcazar. The next year he purchased the Casa Monica Hotel, renaming it the Cordova Hotel, across the street from both the Alcazar and the Ponce de Leon. His chosen architectural firm Carrera and Hastings radically altered the appearance of St. Augustine with these hotels, giving it a skyline and beginning an architectural trend in the state characterised by the use of Spanish Renaissance Revival and Moorish Revival styles. With the opening of the Ponce de Leon in 1888, St. Augustine became the winter resort of American high society for a few years. When Flagler's Florida East Coast Railroad was extended southward to Palm Beach and then Miami in the early 20th century, the wealthy stopped in St. Augustine en route to the southern resorts. Wealthy vacationers began to customarily spend their winters in South Florida, where the climate was warmer and the freezers were rare. St. Augustine nevertheless still attracted tourists and eventually became a destination for families travelling in automobiles as new highways were built and Americans took to the road for annual summer vacations. The tourist industry soon became the dominant sector on the local economy. Other notable St. Augustinians, or Augies, yes, Augies, that's where you get the name Augies from, from St. Augustine, for those of you who don't know. There was Ray Charles, the pianist and singer and composer, Nicolas de Concepcion, the escaped slave who became a Spanish privateer and a pirate captain, yar. There was Willie Irvine, professional football player. There was Brandon James, another professional football player. Stetson Kennedy, author and human rights activist. Alexander Danes, born a slave but became a celebrated physician. Remember, there was a lot of slavery in this area. At least something good came out of it. There was Johnny Mize, the Hall of Fame baseball player. Prince Akil Murat, the nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte. Very interesting. There was Osceola, the Seminole war leader. Actually, if you go to the YouTube Criscuit channel, you'll see me singing Seminole Wind. Great song. But I digress. <laughs> he was actually held prisoner at Fort Marion, now Castillo de San Marcos. There was Tom Petty, the rock musician, was from St. Augustine. Gamble Rogers. Who's Gamble Rogers? Must be a folk singer. There was John M. Schofield, the Union General. Seamus, the Irish professional wrestler. Travis Tomko, the professional wrestler. The Wobbly Toms, the music group. Wobbly Toms, great name. And then there was also Felix Varela, the Cuban national hero, born in St. Augustine. I mentioned the Castillo de San Marcos. That's the fortress which is in St. Augustine. A great place to visit, just don't go in the moat. Anyway. We're not here for a history lesson though, there's plenty of history for sure in St. Augustine, but let's talk about some of the things I did there. Yes, there's bars and restaurants, of course I did, and a museum or two. This episode is actually already getting longer than I anticipated it would be, but well, let's keep going. If you made it this far, another hour or three won't matter. Okay, St. Augustine, where did I go? Let's talk a bit about the bars, the foods that I went to. One particular, one of my favourite places while I was there, was a, what's, what's the word, a smokehouse barbecue place called Mojo's. Fantastic. How did I find that though? That was very interesting. I fancied a beer and saw an Irish bar. I thought maybe there's a football on in there. Now, I tend to avoid, well anybody who knows me, I tend to avoid British pubs, Irish bars, in foreign places. Because they usually attract too many Brits for me. Yes, I know. I'm British, but sometimes you get those ones overseas. And the Irish bar did not disappoint. I walked in, there was three pretend British people there. Well, there was one Australian and two from Britain, 
wearing Liverpool shirts and just being British, the worst kind overseas. I thought, oh, fantastic, I'll just get my drink, have one and get out of there. Now next to me was another guy, an old boy, had his veteran's cap on, looked like he was enjoying some whiskies, having a beer. Actually, he was drinking PBR and a whiskey. He looks like a much more sensible person to talk to. Okay, let's have a chat. He tells me there's a place called Mojo's that does a $5 Four Roses pour and amazing brisket with amazing sides, the collard greens, that kind of thing. Fantastic. He said, go over there in about half an hour. The food is fantastic. It's happy hour. You will not be disappointed. In fact, he might head over himself. Why not? Leaving the obnoxious Brits behind, I headed there in half an hour. I was not disappointed. Great staff. Fantastic whiskey recommendations. It's not a stupid prices place. It's not kind of top-end pause for outrageous prices. It's a bar for whiskey drinkers like me who appreciate the fine things but aren't about to part with $250 for a single pour. There's great brisket and great homemade sauces. If I recall, there was a mustard sauce, a vinegar sauce, a chipotle one, a barbecue sauce, and the Mojo's own sauce. Mojo's was the best, but mixing them all together was fantastic. For me, the collard greens, which I'm a huge fan of, were some of the best I've ever had. The cornbread wasn't the best I'd had, but the other sides made up for it. The star of the show for me, though, was the brisket and the burnt ends. The burnt ends were simply delicious. Melt in the mouth brisket. Oh, mum, 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 mum. <laughs> anyway, I digress. So yeah, Mojo's, that was a great place to visit. The staff were very friendly and they recommended whiskies. And what I liked to do was get recommendations and try them, especially if I've not had them before. And this was a great place to do this. Very, very well priced as well, so good cocktails. Another one of my favorite places to visit in St. Augustine was the Trade Winds Lounge. Apparently the bar that fired Jimmy Buffett has had rum punch since the 1940s and has a strange Indian deity behind the bar, not serving kind of a it was one of the god indian god of war i think apparently robert ripley of ripley's believe it or not had come to evaluate it but maybe he's entering into ripley's believe it or not but it had had some of the there's some elephant tusks in it that had been cut off and he said he would have taken it if it had been more intact that was according to mark the barman there was also mark the barman and mark hart on guitar there he played a 10 string steel guitar amazing sound great musician bit of an old boy plenty of country music just like to have a drink as he said, this is the drinking part of the podcast. Have a drink if you're having one now. Have it on Mark. He was a great entertainment. Plays there most days. You can catch him there. I would describe Trade Winds Lounge, though, as a... How would I best describe it? A more adult and cheaper Trader Sam's. Without all the nonsense. I like Trader Sam's at Disney World in the Polynesian. But I prefer Trade Winds Lounge over it any day. <laughs> it's my kind of bar. No nonsense. Beer. Music. Perfect. In fact, Trade Winds is the place to see live music in St. Augustine. There are a few others which I will mention. But as I said, Jimmy Buffett played here before he became a household name. And the, the owner of the bar famously suggested that Buffett keep his day job. <laughs> also playing there at one point was Gamble Rogers, The Platters, The Birds and The Coasters all played there. Incredible. Such a small venue. Such a lot of history though. As I said, the rum punch they served there, they've had the same recipe since 1946. And it is very tasty. I can, I can vouch for that. But you can pretty much walk past the Trade Winds Lounge any night or any afternoon. The doors are flung open to the street with loud, happy music, toe-tapping tunes coming from the interior. And there's a dance floor as well, if you were to partake of that. But the cold beer was very nice. Actually, another drink. What was I drinking all the time? That was it. Michelob Ultra, for some reason, is now my beer of choice in the USA. 
Oh my goodness, I've let Bud Light down. Anyway, <laughs> another good live music venue in St. Augustine is the Colonial Oak Stage at Colonial Quarter. There's restaurants around there. In addition to bigger acts, St. Augustine has this amazing local music scene. And Colonial Oak Stage is an outdoor amphitheatre that is anchored by, guess what, a huge colonial era oak tree. It's huge branches strung with lanterns stretch above the about 175 seats area. They have some great musicians there, local ones like Paper City Hustlers, the Kristen Lee Trio, J.W. Gilmore and the Blues Authority, and they have an open mic night with several different talents on there, different times of the month. You can also grab food at the St. Augustine Seafood Company in the Colonial Quarter. As I said, it's not just the music venue. There's a bar there where you can get some good local rums. <laughs> and you can also... <laughs> more about the distillery in a second. And you can get food, but the seafood's very good. You can grab a beer, a picnic table, and you're set for the night. Great place. As I said, the distillery, I did visit there. And it's a great place for a great free experience. The staff, very entertaining. All young kids, I would say young kids in their 20s. But you can get whiskey, you can sample the whiskey, sample the rum, and the moonshine. And it's all free. Obviously, the catch is you do it in the gift shop. But I was genuinely surprised. I thought at tasting it would be the nasty whiskey nasty rum i was wrong the whiskey was delicious the rum was delicious and the moonshine was a big surprise i'm sure i saw the bathtub outside that they concocted in <laughs> other places i was staying on anastasia island again i got a, a budget accommodation and there was a british pub there and as i said me and british pubs don't really go together this one turned out to be excellent it was a locals bar no tourists there was karaoke which i did partake oh dear but it was just a really good locals bar and you found that the surrounding bars and restaurants once the staff finished work that is where they hung out great place to go there was odd birds the bar it was like a tiki bar but they had fantastic llama cocktails well the llama tiki cup that's what it looked like a llama there was a retro games place at sabes sabes exclamation mark as they call it and that was a great place for old pinball machines for old there was a really odd adult what's the word spot the difference machine which is very bizarre Jürgen and his extra large penis on that one what else was there there there's just air hockey those kind of games but also serving very good drinks I had a very nice blonde in there beer lots of nice blondes the whole vacation much better than the IPS there was also Austin seafood which I visited a proper mom and pop place this had been recommended by locals and I researched on the internet I got there 11 a.m. for opening for a late breakfast and it was a big queue outside this must be good great seafood we're on the atlantic coast there must be seafood out there somewhere but it was a real nice experience i can't think of any other way to put it the staff were very pleasant as i said a proper mom and pop joint and very popular even at 11 a.m there was also the anastasia lighthouse on anastasia island well worth a visit great sunrises from there if you can be bothered to get up early enough what else did i do oh i went to a, a great food and wine festival sorry it was a country festival I went to in St. Augustine. Well, it would have been great. I had a VIP ticket to go there. On the day, I walked up to the place, the venue, and there was an empty field. Checked the website. They hadn't bothered to tell me that the festival had now changed to July. Okay, what do you do when that doesn't happen? You go to the nearest taco shop. And I can highly recommend the Burrito Works Taco Shop on George Street, St. Augustine, and their $2 beers. The Baja-style tacos, delicious. And after that, I even visit the Leitner Museum, where you can see Churchill's lion. Yes, Winston Churchill's pet lion is in St. Augustine. Don't ask. 
There's dinosaur eggs, the Russian bath, the Turkish baths, and a very bizarre swimming pool. A plethora of antiquities, collectibles, and curiosities. In fact, a real adventurer's club. It was so many collectibles in there that had been put together. <laughs> it, was, it was a really cool place. There's elegance and history, grace and sophistication all come together in the glorious rooms. You walkways and exhibits at the Leitner Museum. Uh, it's, it's a throwback in a way. It was originally the Hotel Alcazar, which I spoke about earlier, that Flagler built. And it's a magnificent example of Spanish Renaissance architecture. But you can browse through costumes, furnishings, mechanical musical instruments and collections that bring back the grand gilded age, a marvellous period in the, in the 19th century. You see beautiful works of cut glass, Victorian art glass and celebrated work of Louis Comfort Tiffany. Two of the museum take a historical journey that will not soon be forgotten. I really enjoyed it. There was also the guide lady there, the lovely Irene, the very lovely Irene from Chiswick, who looked at me like she was the Queen of England meeting Stig of the Dump. <laughs> She was a very nice old lady, though. I was just surprised she was English, but she was that kind of English. A very, very nice kind, but she was way out of my league in the class system. That doesn't exist anymore, but apparently does. Okay, <laughs> right, where am I? Okay, that's enough of St. Augustine, I think. It's just a bit brief. A few snippets of things to do in St. Augustine. Talking of people I meet along the way, for some reason, and a lot of people have said this to me in the past, I seem to attract people to come and talk to me I've never really noticed it before, but my children have pointed it out. Various friends have said to me, wherever you go, you always end up talking to people. And when I left Orlando Airport, MCO, the count was eight people just in that bar. <laughs> Incredible. In fact, I meet random people all the time. I met a guy in Twin Peaks. We were chatting. He was just finished work at a hospital. He looked a bit stressed out. We had a beer together. Just shot the shit for a bit. And he said, well, I've said our goodbyes. Thought I'd never see him ever again. I'm on Butler Beach near St. Augustine, and there he is. Oh, unbelievable. I returned to Oman last week. I'm having my dinner, and a guy I knew from 12 years ago in Qatar. Actually, I thought I saw him that day earlier, and I looked a bit closer and it wasn't. Then the guy promptly turns up. The actual person. Incredible. There's a lady I met on the New Orleans flight who looked after Ted Ted Teddington for a little while. We bumped into her at Universal Studios. This happens all the time. It's the Matrix, I tell you. It really is. Talking of flights, my flight back to the desert lair, I didn't get an upgrade this time, but fortunately the gods were smiling on me again, because I got the only empty four seat row. The best economy sleep ever. I could stretch right out and had a good seven hours of sleep. Only interspersed with a few episodes of one of my guilty pleasures, it was a 14 hour flight after all. Married at first sight Australia, <laughs> I do love that show, and all the bitchiness that goes with it. But I also watched a surprisingly good movie. From Marvel, The Eternals. I put off watching this as I heard bad things. I really enjoyed it a lot. Okay, I'm not going to elaborate too much on all this sort of thing. What else was I thinking about recently? Oh yes, knowing it disappeared down those random internet rabbit holes and you find the strangest of things or even just things you didn't know. Assuming the internet information is always correct, of course, which it always is. YouTube is a master of this, but random things I didn't know last week that I do now after a few internet rabbit holes. The Dukes of Hazard was filmed in Georgia near Atlanta, in Covington, Oxford and Social Circle mostly. Even one scene featuring a music studio, I think it was the Star Studios, was only a block away from the hotel I stayed at during a trip to Atlanta last year. Mmm, the Matrix again. Other useless information I found out this week, Mark Bolden of T-Rex, the band, actually Get It On was number one the day I was born. Little fact for you there. But he was not driving the car in which he perished after a crash into a tree. 
It was in fact his girlfriend and backing singer, the Queen of Northern Soul herself, Gloria Jones. She recorded the original 1965 hit song, Tainted Love. Tainted love you give me, give you... Yeah, yeah, you know. As I said earlier, I learned about a minced oath. It's a euphemistic expression formed by deliberately misspelling, mispronouncing, or replacing a part of a profanity, blasphemous word, or taboo word, or phrase to reduce the original term's objectionable characteristics. An example is gosh for good, or similarly, Brandon for Biden, I guess. But I'm not going there. Other useless information I found out. I told you this one, this episode is going everywhere. I've no idea what I'm talking about most of the time, and this is a good example of it. An oggy. You've heard of the saying, oggy, oggy, oggy? Or in Australia, it's Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. They've bastardised it. But an oggy, what is an oggy? It's a slang term for a Cornish pasty, but it's derived from its Cornish and Devonian name, hoggen, which was used by local Devon and Cornish sailors at the Devonport Dockyard in reference to pasty sellers who once stood outside the gates. Tin miners' wives or pasty sellers supposedly shouted, oggy, oggy, oggy. The response from a hungry miner or labourer would be, oi, oi, oi. But there are other possibilities of where Oggy came from. Yes, I, this is what I found out this week. One derivation, maybe from the Cornish language word for pasty. The Cornish Language Fellowship Online, yes, that's where I was, now cornishlanguage.org, used to give Hoggen and Hogan as words meaning pasty. Also, Wikipedia, Oggy, 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 says Oggy may derive from Hoggen. There's too much Oggies and Hoggens here, which was the Cornish slang for pasty. But they did underline may. Hmm. But... A related derivation may again be from Hoggen, but meaning a bag. Ferguson Plarry Bakehouse in Melbourne, Australia, the tiddly Oggy says, Oggy may be derived from Hogan, which was the name for a Cornish miner's crust bag. Archiver.rootsweb.ancestry.com Yes, I did do the research. I had to look at Jan Trenoodle's songbook of 1846, looking for the words Oggy, Pasty and Hoggen. There I found a couple of mentions of Hoggen, of a Hoggen bag, plus a definition in the glossary of a Hoggen bag i.e. Hoggenbag, a miner's bag, wherein he carries his provisions. Hoggen, Cornish, also a pork pasty. That was the quote, not my voice. A third derivation may be from Hoggen meaning a cake. Collections of the State Historical Society of Wisconsin, Volume 14. Yes, I did this research. I don't know how I stumbled on this, but I did. It uses Hoggen to mean cake, as in plum Hoggen and figgy Hoggen. There's also the Cornish dialect dictionary, barely Hoggen, a cake of barley meal. The Cornish Dialect Dictionary also gives Tiddy Oggy and Tiddly Oggy, Tiddly and Tiddy, different spellings, as various uses, i.e. a potato pie, pastry, different pies. A fourth suggestion is that the Oggy could be derived from the pork pasty, as I referred to earlier, where the word hog, meaning pig, might be involved, or I think that one's less likely. But back to the chant, Oggy Oggy Oggy, also forms the traditional end to the Tiddy Oggy song. I mentioned Tiddly and Tiddy earlier, and that's the unofficial anthem of the Devonshire and Dorset Regiment and the Devonport Marines, and they're still associated with the song Oggy Man, which they generally sing at public displays. Now Tiddy Oggy, as I said Tiddy, led me to onto a more bizarreness of the English language. There's the Pretty Oggy. <laughs> pretty Tiddy Tiddly Oggy. <laughs> the Pretty Oggy. And that's dealt with on an English pasties page. Yes, I did find this online. And it originated in Pretty, a village in Somerset or Somerset in the UK. So you could have a Pretty Oggy. There's Tiddly, which I mentioned earlier, which is naval slang for proper, as used in the naval and dockyards, especially Devonport. So Tiddly Oggy can be translated as being a, a proper pasty, as in proper Cornish pasty. Then Tiddy, not Tiddly. Tiddy is the Cornish Devon vernacular for potato, along with taty, tatties, that kind of thing, and spuds, I guess. 
At the other end of the UK, our Celtic cousins in Scotland use tatties as in tatties and neeps, mashed potato and turnip, as served with haggis. You know the kind of thing. And the Cornish dialect dictionary gives tatties, tetties and tates for potatoes. Confused? I was. But there you go, we have pretty titty tiddly oggies. <laughs> I don't even know where this is going myself. But it's what I found out this week. Other useless information I found out this week. Nine Curzon Place, flat 12. Means nothing to you. It's a place in Soho, in Mayfair, in London, sorry. Cass Elliot, also known as Mama Cass from the group Mamas and Papas, as well as The Who's legendary drummer Keith Moon, somewhat unbelievably died in that room four years apart. They died in the same room. I did not know that. And even more interesting, or not as the case may be, the apartment in which they both passed away actually belonged to singer Harry Nielsen. But due to the American singer-songwriter largely being on the road in the States, he seldom had a chance to beat his London home, and instead rented it out to his musician friends. So if you get an invite from Harry Nielsen to go and stay at 9 Curzon Place, flat 12, I would decline. Okay, we're almost there, don't worry. Lastly, what have we got lastly? Oh, the Muppets. I found out this this week. A Muppets TV series focusing on the electric mayhem is officially in the works at Disney+. The Muppets Mayhem is set to follow the beloved show's band as they try and record their first ever album. The show will star Lily Singh as Nora, a human junior, A&R executive who must manage the band, featuring Dr. Teeth, Animal, Floyd Pepper, Janice, Zoot and Lips. And Adam F. Goldberg, the creator of The Goldbergs, developed the series along with Bill Barretta and Jeff Yorks, and it's based on Jim Henson's characters. For me, this is good news, because The Goldbergs lost its way when Adam stopped being involved. He stopped being the showrunner after season 6 in 2019. And for me, it's really time it was over. The characters all seem to speak a bit oddly now. And I just think it's lost that innocence that it had when Adam F. Goldberg was in charge of it. Anyway, I told you it was a rabbit hole. And I can't even remember how I went from Dukes of Hazard to Mark Ball and to Cornish Pasties to Electric Mayhem to Nine Curzon Place. There you go. So before I go, thanks for listening and don't forget to check out the Criscuit YouTube channel. If you've listened this far, you'll probably enjoy the content on there as well. And also subscribe and share this podcast. Oh my goodness, this has been a hectic one. What have we been talking about for the last 27 hours? I have no idea. Who knows what's going on? How shall I finish? i tell you what I'm going to do. My random Spotify five songs. Always good fun. Okay, here we are. Spotify. Spotify? Spotify is locked and loaded. Let's see what we get first, shall we? Oh, just like Fred Astaire by James. It would have to be a James song, wouldn't it? Great song, this. I think I've done this on my YouTube channel. So check it out there before I get done for copyright on this one. Yes, I am holding the phone next to the microphone. (laughs) Doctor, what is happening to me? I'm not going to sing the rest, don't worry. Next. Ooh. Sweet Dreams, Tennessee. The Last Shadow Puppets, Alex Turner and Miles Kane. Ooh, I didn't even know this was on here. Great tune. Told you, not going to to elaborate on these. Let's see what we've got next. Oh, Hard Work, Theo Katzman. Great tune. Again, not going to tell you about it. Look it up yourself next. Oh, fantastic. The Marshall Tucker Band. Take the highway. Meow, 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 meow. Desert Delirium is really kicking in here. 
I hope the uh, carpet monsters aren't around to get me again this time. Better get the house robots on standby, I think. Anyway, what's next? Is that four so far? Let's have number five. Oh, Roberta Flack. First time ever I saw your face. Beautiful song. Wow. Get on with the intro. We're not allowed more than 20 seconds, I don't think. Oh, superb. Love that song. Give that a listen. Roberta Flack. Terrific. Right. That's enough of Spotify, I think. Can't remember if that was four or five, but that will do. Okay. Let's close out this episode, I think. I have no idea how many hours we've been doing this for. I haven't had a good joke for a while. Actually, not a joke. It's actually a story. I was uh, standing at a bar in Terminal 3 in Dubai. This is when I was on the way back from Orlando. So going out, I flew into New York. On the way back, I flew Orlando direct to Dubai. As I said, I'm sure it was a 14-hour flight. And I had a four-hour, I had a seven-hour wait, actually, between my flights. And I'm in Terminal 3, Dubai, great place, the international airport. And a small Chinese guy comes in, stands next to me, and starts drinking a beer. So I said to him, uh, do you know any of those martial art things? You know, like Kung Fu, Karate, Jiu Jitsu? He says, no, why could you ask me that? Is it just because I'm Chinese? No, I said, it's because you're drinking my beer, you prick. <laughs> Actually, another story in the airport. This is a true one as well. It always reminds me, like, I was in a time I was in the airport lounge and a beautiful young woman walks in and sits down at a table next to me. I decided, I like to guess what people do for a living or I'm a big thing about guessing people's nationality, as some of you know. But I decided, because she's wearing a uniform, she's probably an off-duty flight attendant. Cabin crew. So I decided to have a go at identifying the airline she flies for. You've, you've heard my airline episode, I hope. So I leant across her and said the British Airways motto, to fly, to serve. She looked at me blankly, and I have to think of another line. So I leant forward again and delivered the Air France motto, winning the hearts of the world. She just stared at me with a slightly puzzled look on her face. So undeterred, I tried again, I know, Malaysian Airlines motto, going beyond expectations. The woman looked at me sternly and says, what the fuck do you want? Ah, that's it. American Airlines. <laughs> this is a ridiculous podcast and will continue to be. So I'm going to close out with a quote. I know, let's have one from Douglas Adams, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy author. Yeah, I haven't had a bit of him for a long time. So I'll close out with this. Thank you for listening if you've made it this far. It's been a real nonsense one, this, and I've genuinely enjoyed myself. Now to go and set up the house robots and see what's going on in the desert lair. I'll leave you with this quote. Douglas Adams. I'd far rather be happy than right any day.
All house robots to station immediately. All house robots to station immediately. Incoming, I repeat, incoming. This is not a drill. still recording. Right, if anybody gets this, the desert lair has been overrun by carpet monsters. The house robots are fighting them off as I speak. I'm going to make a run for it. Got to get to the escape pods. Just stay with me. (laughs) 
come on, let's go computer, let's go, we need to get out of here quick. Where is this? What the fuck? 